On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we preview the Terp season in 2020, which is set to start off this weekend at Charleston Southern University. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Zach Solon. Hey, welcome into episode 73 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, our final episode before actual baseball play begins for the Maryland Terrapins this season. I guess you would call it our final episode of the offseason. I'm Zach Solon, joined by Ben Curtis. And Ben, you and I, just as we were sitting down before we pressed record on this podcast, we were scrolling through Twitter and we found yesterday the Maryland Terrapins uh, baseball account uh, tweeted out a uh, preview, a hype video, 18 seconds long, but you and I watched it, and we got really excited for the season. Oh, how can you not be excited? It's almost baseball season coming up just a couple of days now. Charleston Southern will be the site, and really getting down to it now and can't be more excited. A lot of optimism around this Maryland team. Absolutely, and and also a shout-out to the Maryland video department. They do oh, an excellent job. I think even over the past couple of years, the content they put out across all, all sports has just been phenomenal, and uh, certainly getting uh, us excited, getting the fans excited, and we hope if you're listening, this podcast can kind of give you a little more insight on what the Terps team is really going to look like this year. We spent our past two podcasts kind of doing a recap of the offseason and then going through our top plays of 2019, but now it's 2020. In fact, it's February, Ben. Valentine's Day is on Friday, and my love is baseball, so I'm glad I'll be spending my Valentine's Day with the Terps down in South Carolina, and should be a good time. It really should be getting down to mid-February already. Can't believe that. But it's time to look ahead to the future. 2019, big step for Maryland. But got to know how to put that behind you, not just accept that you had a solid season, but actually grow from it into 2020. So to recap the offseason for you one last time, the Terps essentially are losing four major players on their team. Two starters, a Friday night ace, and also John Murphy, who's in your bullpen, who was your closer. A.J. Lee is one of them. He was their shortstop, led the team in batting average last season. He was he graduated and was drafted by the Houston Astros. And you've also got Taylor Wright, who played third base for the Terps last year. He transferred here uh, to start his junior year, had two great seasons for Rob Vaughn's squad. He is also gone as well, so the Terps going to have some questions at the hot corner, uh, pretty much the entire left side of the infield. Also going to have to find a new ace of the pitching staff and a new back end of the bullpen. And, I mean, they're – like you said, only four pieces is not huge when you're talking about leaving a college team. There's going to be obviously a lot of turnover. People graduate. Some people transfer sometimes. So when you look at a team, baseball team, you see only four guys departed. You get really excited and you realize they were arguably the four most influential parts of that 2019 season. So a lot of mixing and matching for Rob Vaughn to do, especially early on in the season and this lead up into mid-February when the season starts and the out-of-conference schedule as well. Really good time to see exactly what he has. That's right. The turf season started, or last year ended at 29 and 29, a five win improvement for Rob Vaughn and his coaching staff in their second season after Vaughn took the helm and got uh, 23 wins in 2018. So now we look ahead to 2020, and like we've said several times already in these few minutes, they will start the season on Friday night, February 14th at 6 p.m. against Charleston Southern University. The Buccaneers taking on the Terps for just the second time, and Charleston Southern with a pretty decent squad when you look how it stacks up, but going against a, a team from a Power 5 conference in the Terps, it could be a tough matchup. And it's a great opportunity for both teams to kind of get their sea legs out from underneath them, if you will. 
uh, a really nice opportunity against a quality opponent. You certainly don't want to be playing Division II schools, Division III schools, NAIA schools to get yourself going. You want good quality opponents, but also an opportunity to build a little bit of confidence heading into the, the real thick of the 2020 season. Last season, the Buccaneers of Charlotte, or Charleston Southern, excuse me, went 23 and 36, 11 and 16 in the Big South Conference. Now they're led by their interim head coach George Schaefer, who replaces Adam Ward, who stepped down after two seasons at the helm last year. Now they're returning some big pitchers. When you look at their slate, you've got um, some. Uh, good stuff like uh, R.J. Petit had a 2.55 ERA as a freshman last year. So the Buccaneers hoping that he and, and the rest of their team can shine on Friday against the Terps. Then they will continue their weekend. Now, the Terps are not playing a tournament per se this weekend, how they've opened up a couple of previous seasons. But they are playing three games in three days against three different schools. So they will play the Iona Gales, who are from New Rochelle, New York, not too far from uh, my hometown, uh, just outside of New York City, but they'll take on Iona at 11.30 a.m. on Saturday, and that'll actually be at the College of Charleston. So Iona is actually opening their season with a Friday night game against Char the College of Charleston, a Saturday game against the Terps, and then they also play Sunday against the College of Charleston. I guess you could call it a, a Maryland sandwich uh, between two pieces of College of Charleston. Now what the big question is, is the Iona game Maction? Because it's from the other MAC, the MAAC, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, not the Mid-American Conference. Do we still get to call it Maction? I don't think so. Like, legally, technically, <laughs> probably not. But I think that it still counts in our hearts and our minds. <laughs> so the Terps will play Iona on Saturday. And then Sunday they will finally play the College of Charleston at the College of Charleston. That'll be a 1 p.m. start. Of course, all these times Eastern, the Terps just taking about a, a seven and a half, eight hour bus ride down to South South Carolina, uh, which is where uh, these games will be played. Of course, you could hear all the games with me on the Maryland Baseball Network. It'll be an awesome time, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And then the Terps will continue their season the following weekend, February 21st, and they'll open up the home slate at the Bob, where the Terps, as we mentioned, Ben struggled last year, but they'll play three games against the Rams of Rhode Island, those games at 4-2-1, and one, respectively, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Ben, we've talked before, but this Rhode Island series, good chance for the Terps to get some home wins early. It is, and that was, we've, we've talked about already, one of the biggest problems for Maryland a season ago is the fact that they really struggled at the Bob, and they're going to have to go over 500 in College Park this season, I think, to really get to where they want to be in terms of postseason play, Big Ten tournament play, and even perhaps the next step as well. So that's a really good introduction to the 2020 season at the Bob and a really good chance for them to pick up some victories, as you said. I agree with you there. And then the Terps have a midweek game against George Mason at the Bob. And then they go on another non-conference road trip over a weekend back to the state of South Carolina for an opponent who's become pretty familiar over the past couple of years. It's the 2016 national champion, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. And the Terps have struggled against Coastal in the past, but when you look at the teams now and how they've evolved since the 2016 national championship, the Terps have been, you know, were NCAA tournament contenders back then, but they've also had their struggles since. So when these two teams go up against each other, Coastal will have the advantage, but if the Terps can steal one or two of those games, that's going to be really big for their confidence going forward. Absolutely not only their confidence but their resume as well if you want to go back to what we were saying about postseason goals after the Big Ten tournament perhaps you'll be making quite a few trips to the Palmetto State early on in the season but these two schools have had really oscillating trajectories over the past couple of seasons the 2016 national championships as you mentioned for the Chanticleers in Maryland going to the Super Regionals a couple of years ago some ups and some downs for both of these programs coming into the past 
half the, the back end, should I say, of the 2010s. So a really good opportunity for both teams to start off 2020 for Coastal Carolina, victory against a Power 5 opponent for Maryland against one of these new blue bloods of college baseball. Now, Ben, you mentioned that South Carolina is the Palmetto State, which, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I knew or remembered. How are you with that kind of stuff? Like, do you know, like, every state, like, what their state slogan or motto is? What would you call it? The name of the state, I guess? Yeah, I... Depends on which ones you ask like me. I got a couple. Please do not tweet the podcast and ask me because you're going to come <laughs> up. What's the South Dakota state name? I don't know that one. Um, Palmetto State, South Carolina. All right. You got that one right. Terps will continue their season coming back home against Delaware and then a uh, weekend series non-conference against Bryant to start off the month of March. And when you look at this Bryant series, that's kind of a time where right before the Terps have a big non-conference opponent coming up after that, this could be your last chance to see some freshmen get some extended action on the mound uh, in a weekend series, maybe see some bullpen guys thrown into some tricky situations if they come up. And like you said, it's the last home weekend series before we really get down to it with Big Ten play and uh, some really quality opponents after that. They go to TCU, as I'm sure we'll talk about, but... There is something different about playing on a weekend. Yes, they'll have the win- the Wednesday game uh, right after it against James Madison, but there is something different, especially for a freshman, to play college baseball on the weekend in a Big Ten stadium, in a Power 5 stadium. So it's going to be, like you said, the last real opportunity for Rob Vaughn to mix and match before his decisions get even more consequential. So then the season continues on with a game against JMU. And then the big spring break trip. The Terps will head down to Texas, first to Fort Worth, to take on the Horn Frogs, one of the best mascots in college, in my opinion, in college sports, in my opinion. Uh, the TCU Horn Frogs down in Texas. That'll be a weekend series. Now, TCU, a really good team, coming off a tournament appearance last year. Always a big opponent. Terps haven't faced them in a while, and it'll be really interesting to see how they stack up against the Horn Frogs. Then a midweek game against Sam Houston State, getting the Terps some more experience in the Lone Star State. boy, Got yeah. that one. Well, yeah, they, they say the stars at night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. That's the song, and it's a huge <laughs> opportunity. It, it is. It's a huge opportunity for Maryland to not only play a Power 5 school not only play uh, a team that when you think about college baseball over the past decade past two decades TCU's got to be towards the top of the list they've had a lot of success so resume builder confidence builder on the road something that Maryland is going to have to maybe even improve a little bit more in 2020 in their non-conference schedule from one season ago so it's a big spring break trip yes it's fun it's over spring break going down to Texas it'll be nice and warm compared to maybe uh, the February baseball that's been played at the Bob. We'll see how the forecast looks for that and then the Rhode Island series especially. But, yes, it'll be good fun. But also, if you want to look at the out-of-conference schedule, this might be the weekend to circle. All right. And then conference play begins, and Michigan State will come into College Park the weekend of March 20th to wrap up the back end of spring break. Now, the Spartans and Terps last met in East Lansing back at the end of April in 2018, and the Terps took two out of three. We know Michigan State has struggled in Big Ten baseball the past couple of years. Missing the tournament last year could be a good chance for the Terps to pick up some wins. Yeah, frankly, it has to be a series win, uh, in my opinion. This is a Michigan State team that didn't really compete towards the top of the Big Ten a season ago. Yes, Maryland hasn't played them in a couple of years, but it's to kick off the Big Ten schedule. Obviously, you want to open it off, open it up on the right foot. It's at home. To me, this has to be at least two wins. So then the Terps continue on with a midweek game uh, on the road in Morgantown against West Virginia, who was an NCAA tournament team last year. You can often find them ranked inside the top 25. And then they will continue on 
and the Terps will play Rutgers, and that's on the road up in Piscataway, a short drive up I-95 for Maryland, but Rutgers, another one of those teams that struggled in the Big Ten. Could be another chance for them to pick up some wins as well. Last time the Terps played Rutgers was here in College Park back in May of 2018. They swept the Scarlet Knights. A, a big opportunity right off the bat at home and on the road. I like the fact that the two series to open up the Big Ten are one at home and one on the road against teams that I believe both missed the Big Ten tournament one season ago. So a chance for Rob Vaughn to play some conference home games and some conference road games while still having uh, not a lot of margin for error because there's very little margin for error in conference play, but perhaps a bit more than if you were playing, say, Michigan or uh, Indiana. And then to start off the first weekend in April, the Terps will be back home to take on Nebraska, which is the first Big Ten, turn, uh, Big Ten tournament opponent that the Terps will play in 2020. The Cornhuskers, a very successful season last year. Last time these two teams met, it was the Cornhuskers who took two out of three, and that was in Lincoln. And Marty Costas, who hit a pair of home runs in the Friday night victory, which was 15-7, to the Terps won that one. Uh, after that, the Terps not able to get anything done against the Huskers. But that was two years ago. you got a very different-looking team now. Yeah, you certainly do a different Costas as well in the Maryland lineup. And I think that the fact that Nebraska made a run in the Big Ten tournament, yes, uh, certainly a good sign for Nebraska heading into 2020. wonder how much you have to take into advantage that that's almost a home game for the Cornhuskers. Obviously, the Big Ten tournament in Omaha and Nebraska, huge Big Red Nation turnout for that one. So we'll see how... Nebraska moves into 2020, and that could be a big series as well at the Bob. So then we continue on through the schedule, and then the Terps have a nice break in conference play on the weekends. They'll welcome Binghamton in the next weekend in April into College Park, a non-conference opponent that was a pretty good team last year, but the Terps going to get another chance to see something a little different, maybe a change of pace, not having to worry about the Big Ten standings for that weekend in early April. And you think about the pitching mainly, Oh, and you think about an out-of-conference break, essentially. Uh, how many games are there in between conference play? I believe there's six games in between the, the two conference opponents. So that's a really good chance. If somebody's not necessarily very healthy, let them take a rest. No need to push them against teams like Binghamton or Mount St. Mary's in the following midweek game. Uh, you can have guys rest up on their arms if their pitch counts are getting a little bit high. Internally, I'm sure all these coaches have uh, pitch counts that they want to keep their guys on. If somebody tweaked something early on in the season, this is a really good opportunity for them to get back to game pace. So a huge chance internally, especially for Maryland to get their house sorted, basically heading into the back half of the Big Ten tournament, uh, the Big Ten regular season, should I say. And then in the middle of April, the weekend of the 17th out in Iowa City, the Terps play another Big Ten tournament team from last season in the Iowa Hawkeyes. And Ben, we've talked about it a million times before the Terps. That was the series of the year last year. They played them here in College Park last weekend of the season, a spot in the tournament on the line, and the Terps swept them. And Iowa knows exactly what happened, and I highly doubt that the Hawkeyes will forget what happened uh, when the Terps go to visit their place in, in 2020 in mid-April. Going to be looking a lot at the standings. That will be really a time when we have a good understanding of who is going to be competing for the Big Ten tournament, who's going to be finishing towards the bottom, who's going to be competing for the Big Ten regular season championship. So this is going to be a really consequential series, and you have to think of the back of their minds. Both the Terps and the Hawkeyes will be remembering what happened at the Bob last year. Absolutely. The next weekend series the Terps will have will be here against Penn State, a team they faced last year, but again, Ben, a team that missed the Big Ten tournament. Maryland, you know, when you look at the draw and discounting recruiting classes, because you know how good Maryland's is, so you have to compare if it's the best in the Big Ten, then 
you know, they're going to be able to stack up against the other freshmen in the Big Ten. But this Penn State team coming in, if they haven't made much adjustments by that point in the season, it, it could be trouble for them, and it could be a really good chance for the Terps to push themselves further up in the Big Ten standings. Yeah, I think we've mentioned it on previous podcasts as well. The draw is, frankly, very favorable for Maryland in, in Big Ten tournament, in Big Ten regular season play, should I say, in 2020. You look at the top three seeds from one year ago. Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, not in that order. I believe Indiana was the uh, number one seed. But regardless, those three teams, Maryland doesn't play them in the regular season. So this is a really big opportunity in 2020 for Maryland to make a big jump towards the top of the Big Ten tournament standings. And then we get into the month of May, the final month of the season. Starting off on May Day, the Terps will have a three-game set in Purdue in West Lafayette, Indiana. And the Terps are going to be looking for some revenge. Back in 2018 at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium, right as the Terps were in the middle of Big Ten play, Purdue came in and the Boilermakers swept Maryland in three games. And there are certainly some players for both teams who will be hanging around and remembering that. And there's also this kind of institutional memory if you want to talk about settling old scores. Obviously, the Iowa is going to be a little bit more consequential but there will still be this remembering of Maryland. Hey, the last time we saw these guys, uh, they, they came and they took care of business against us, and we want to go into their place and do the exact same thing. And now as we head into May and every game gets more important, every pitch gets more important, every play gets more important, we're really going to see some heightened baseball, I think, in that, in that series in Indiana. And then the Terps spend back-to-back -back weekends on the road as they will travel to Ohio State the following weekend to take on the reigning Big Ten Tournament champions, a team they faced four times last year, and the Buckeyes took three of those four, including one in the Big Ten Tournament that put the Terps on the brink of elimination. It's the Buckeye State as well, I believe. That one's correct. Nicely done. <laughs> yes, indeed. But I think that by this point in the season, the momentum that anyone would have gotten from the 2019 Big Ten tournament. Ohio State and Nebraska were the two that we were talking about earlier. Will it fizzled away? This is a new team. This is heading towards the home stretch of the 2020 Big Ten regular season. So I think at this point in the season, you can kind of wipe away anything that happened in postseason play in 2019 because we'll be heading towards postseason play in 2020 pretty soon. Exactly, and then speaking of postseason play, the Terps will have their last series of the regular season where if last year is any indication of this year, should be an exciting one with a lot of Big Ten tournament implications. They will host the Golden Gophers of Minnesota here to end the year. I think if you ask Rob Vaughn or Minnesota's manager, neither of them particularly want as much on the line in 2020 as in that last regular season series of 2019. I think both managers would rather that they've been done and dusted in the Big Ten tournament uh, well before then, but every year the last series of the regular season is so consequential, and I have a strong feeling that one of these two teams is going to be competing for a spot in the Big Ten tournament, and even if they're both in, seeding going to be so, so vital in that double elimination tournament in Omaha. Absolutely. So Baseball America uh, has ranked their projected order of finish for the 2020 season. Uh, and they pick Michigan to win the Big Ten. Obviously, Michigan with a miracle run last year, making it to the final game of the season, losing to Vanderbilt in the College World Series championship game. But their pick to win this year, they went 50-22 and 22 last year. But, Ben, like we mentioned, the Terps avoid them from their schedule. But then pick to finish second and third, you've got Ohio State and Minnesota, who, as we mentioned, the Terps are going to be facing in the final two weekends of the year. Indiana also in there. And then Iowa picked to finish fifth just above Maryland was picked to finish sixth. Yeah, Ohio State really struggled with injuries last year. That was a, a hard luck 2019 campaign for the Buckeyes. I think they were a better team than they were for the majority of the season. Uh, I think that kind of came out in the Big Ten tournament as well when they made that run as the seventh seed, I believe they were, to go all the way and win the Big Ten tournament. So Ohio State 
Yes, when you look at that Big Ten regular season 2019, they weren't really in the mix for the Big Ten regular season championship, but they're a lot better of a team and a lot better of a program than they showed in 2019 with their record per se. So I'm not too surprised to see Ohio State that high up. So when you look at the D1 baseball top 25 rankings of the season, which obviously fluctuate every single week, but you look at the teams that are at the top, you've got the usual suspects. Louisville, number one, coming in. Vanderbilt, the reigning national champions at number two. Miami at three. Florida at four. Georgia at five. You look in the top 25, and you always want to see a lot of big schools in there, a lot from Power Five conferences. But, Ben, at number 13 is Michigan. And that is the only Big Ten team in the top 25. As you and I just discussed, that's not really a surprise. But do you think there's any point in the season where we could see Maryland, who's got the number seven ranked recruiting class, relying on those freshmen and their returning guys to really work together by a certain point in, let's say, late March, early April, where they can work their way up into the top 25 teams in the country? I think they need to make a splash out of conference and they need to do it in a big way. The Big Ten is a solid conference for baseball, but there aren't a lot of opportunities for really eye-catching victories, especially with Maryland avoiding Michigan in the in the Big Ten regular season. That's a blessing and a curse when you want to look at conference play versus chance to really catch the eye of the NCAA tournament committee or those rankings makers. So I think if they're going to crack that top 25, it's actually going to be earlier on in the season than in that chunk of Big Ten play. I think they're going to need to make a splash down in Conway against Coastal Carolina. I think they're probably going to need to win the series in Fort Worth against TCU. That will be the best opportunity for Maryland to really catch the eye of some of these nationally uh, acclaimed websites making all these rankings. It's really difficult, though, because when you're relying so heavily on these freshmen, it's a very tall task to say, hey, jump right into the 2020 season. And, oh, go ahead and take two or three from TCU. Take two or three from Coastal Carolina. It's a very difficult task, very tough task for Rob Vaughn to, to pull off. All right, so that wraps up our talk of the 2020 schedule and the preseason rankings put out by Baseball America and D1 Baseball. Obviously, we know the one accolade we want to point out is that Maxwell Costas was named a preseason All-American candidate, and we could go on and on about Maxwell. We'll definitely have him on a podcast soon, but really you know, excited to see what he could do. He's been raking in practice, as have a lot of the guys. Uh, the team looks very much improved. And now it's time to break down the roster a little bit. And we're going to start with our starting pitchers. Because when you look at Maryland, you know, starting pitching is somewhere where last year they had Hunter Parsons, they had Zach Thompson, who were pretty much consistently there. But then there are a couple of question marks, especially on midweek games and also on Sundays, Tyler Blome battling injuries throughout the season. But he's going to be your senior on your pitching staff. And when you look to him, Tyler Blome, who was the 2017 Big Ten Freshman of the Year last season. Now, like I said, Ben, he was struggling with injuries, but only six starts, went one and two with a 5.74 ERA over 15 and two-thirds. And there's so much frustration there because you can see the talent. And when he came back, I was covering that game when he, when he returned finally for Maryland, and you could see the talent is there. You could see the pop is there, and you can see the stuff is there. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a huge part of the Maryland starting rotation. It's very frustrating when you have a guy who you know is so talented and has been rewarded for that talent, as you mentioned two years ago, uh, coming up with that award. Uh, it, it's very frustrating, and you can't really predict very much as well, especially with a pitcher coming off of injury. Will the stuff still be there? Will the velocity still be there? Because if not, college pitchers and college hitters, should I say, are going to hurt you, and they're going to hurt you a lot. And that's why we saw the 5.74 ERA, because he never really acclimated back into the college baseball waters in 2019, uh, if you will. So I think the offseason would do him good. And if the stuff is still there in 2020, he can be that top-of-the-line guy. That's right. And if the Terps do want to go with a lefty on Friday night to give them sort of an advantage 
uh, you know, because you don't see a lot of lefties, um, you know, on the mound in general. Statistically, I don't know what the breakdown is of right-handed people versus left-handed people. In fact, do you ever hear the stats that 51% of turns are right turns? I don't believe that. I, I don't know if that's 62% true. 62% of statistics are made up on the spot, so I don't know <laughs> if I believe that one. Well, anyway, I was looking down the roster. I think if you want to look for another lefty who could step into that starting role, who's been on the team for a while, you could look to a junior in Sean Fisher. Because if you look at his stats from the summer, he was up in the Cape League, which is obviously the premier collegiate baseball league over the summer. And then he was with Brewster. He was their reliever of the year. And he had a 2.84 ERA over 25 and a third. So the Terps obviously need some help in the bullpen. Fisher could really be a big part of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a start maybe in a midweek game here or there. And that's so incredibly optimistic to see guys go into summer ball and can be guys who are playing in the NECBL. They're playing on the Cape and having really good seasons. Maxwell Costas was up in upstate New York with a perfect game league, absolutely dominating. So when you play really top uh, uh, talent, like they do in the Cape Cod League, especially against a lot of Power 5 guys, a lot of guys from the ACC and the SEC as well. And to have a lot of success, that gives you personal confidence and that also gives you kind of institutional confidence to know that you have guys who have, can go out to these top leagues against really good opponents and rep your school very well and come back and have really good stuff and perhaps even improve from kind of the instruction that you get in 2019 summer ball heading into 2020. So then continuing on, you've got one more guy who started pretty much consistently throughout the year last year, and that's Zach Thompson. He started pretty much every Saturday game. Now, he did finish the year with a 5.08 ERA, but there were plenty of games where the Terps needed him to step up, and he did, especially on that Friday game, I guess, the middle game of the series against Iowa. Zach Thompson's a guy who last year was... Never knew exactly the situation he was going to be pitching in. Was he, you know, when he went into a weekend series, he was coming behind Hunter Parsons, who, as we all know, is excellent. But he never knew going into that series, oh, am I going to be pitching with my team up one nothing in the series, or are we going to be down one nothing? And I don't know if I'm not a pitcher myself, but I that definitely has to change your mindset a little bit about, you know, how you feel with confidence, knowing if your team's going to be there to back you up. Did they have a rough night on Friday? So Thompson, as many times as he's able to be focused on his starts, it's a matter of how his team has been performing as well he did struggle to get some run support in some games last year in the middle of the season but when you look at it as a whole Thompson's got good stuff do you think he could continue to be that Saturday guy for the Terps this year I definitely do I think that the 5.08 ERA is a little bit uh it doesn't really tell the whole story uh heading into Big Ten play his ERA was 3.63 which is very solid I think he had a bit of a rough adjustment into uh, Big Ten play very rude awakening to start off his Big Ten season last year, having to play Indiana, and the Hoosiers absolutely lit him up. He gave up seven earned runs in just three innings, but he bounced back with a seven-inning performance against Illinois. The ERA kind of settled back down. They got it under control. He does have outings where things can kind of spiral a little bit, but especially out of conference, I thought he was very impressive. Out of conference play, he only gave up more than three earned runs in an outing once, and that was the season debut against Coastal Carolina, who obviously has a fantastic offense. So I think if he can acclimate to the Big Ten season like he was able to do in the out-of-conference play last year, he's going to have a lot more success in 2020. So continuing on, we've got the other guy who started a lot of Sundays for the Terps last year when Blom got injured. He was thrown into position as a freshman, and that's Trevor Labonte. The big kid from Maine did shine in some big uh, in some big moments. I actually think one of his best relief appearances of the year was just that, a relief appearance, when he was put back into the position against Minnesota when Tyler Blom came back and got the start. And Labonte did really well, but at the end of the season, he had a 5.98 ERA. But like I said, you know, some good... Uh, 
showings uh, later in the season especially. He did get a start in the Big Ten tournament against Ohio State, held them to just a few runs. So if Labonte could you know, have a sophomore kind of breakout, he could be a big part of the Terps pitching staff as well. Yeah, certainly a roller coaster season for Trevor Labonte. It started out, uh, started out quite, kind of poorly. He got roughed up against VCU, but then he dominated out-of-conference play. Heading into that Big Ten regular season slate, his ERA was 2.63. He was pitching really, really well, and then they ran into Indiana and Illinois and Northwestern and Ohio State, and he got roughed up a little bit, especially in that Indiana game as well in that ugly 19-4 to loss. So I think that's another ERA that doesn't really tell the whole story. So if these Maryland pitching staff, and it's kind of becoming a trend, if they can replicate their out-of-conference performances from last year into the Big Ten slate. Obviously, it's a bit more difficult. You're playing quality opponents night in and night out in the Big Ten, but if they can keep their early season successes going against those more quality opponents in the Big Ten, I think they're going to have a lot more success, and you'll see Maryland have a lot more success as a whole. And then one more guy who's returning to the team this year, even though we didn't see him last year because he redshirted due to his recovery from Tommy John surgery, is Sean Burke. This guy is 6'6". A huge freshman, a big arm. He can throw 90-plus on his fastball. If he can get good control of his breaking ball, he could be a, a weapon for the Terps going down. He's gotten some starts and some fall scrimmages. He's really learned to settle down, and, and he could be a big piece for the Terps. And our James Gordon on MarylandBaseballNetwork.com looked into Burke and three other freshmen who could play big roles for the Terps. They've all gotten some big pitching opportunities, uh, both in the fall season and throughout the team scrimmages in the spring. And that's Nick Dean, who his junior year of high school had a 1-1-6 ERA. Ryan Ramsey, a former New Jersey State Pitcher of the Year and a state uh, multi-time state champion. And then also Sam Bellow, who Rob Vaughn has given a lot of comparisons to Sean Fisher. And Sean Burke, we saw him play in the fall a little bit, and he was perhaps the most impressive of the guys that we didn't really see on the field one season ago. 6'6", 230, as you said. So it's a lot coming at you in the batter's box. Very intimidating uh, form, uh, and he really looked like he had his mechanics down uh, quite well for somebody who's so big. That's a lot tougher to do, especially when you throw as hard as Sean Burke does. But he can be a huge, huge weapon. I like him coming out of the bullpen to start, I think. The velocity, I think, would really help coming out of the bullpen, especially in comparison to a guy like Trevor Labonte, who may be more of a pitcher's pitcher, if you will, a bit more of a stuff guy, a location guy, than just come in and throw straight gas at you. But I think Sean Burke is going to be a huge weapon, kind of a secret weapon for Maryland in out of the bullpen at least to start off 2020 as a redshirt freshman didn't see him last year but he's got the f the frame definitely and the mechanics as well I think of somebody who's a bit more of a mature player a bit more of an experienced player so then we move on to the back end of the Terps and to finish up on the starters one thing I've noticed looking at this team throughout the past couple of weeks is that they do have so many candidates who can eat up innings who can throw 75 to 100 pitches in a game and Ben as you and I have spoken both on this podcast and off of it behind the scenes is that you know you have a guy who can go out there pitch three or four innings on a Friday night and then have another guy relieve him who could pitch three or four innings and in a weekend series that's huge because you could save your bullpen the Terps bullpen which we're about to preview you know has some big arms in there but if you can have a couple of guys who you can rely on to go eat up innings early in a weekend, that is a really important piece. So now we're going to move on to the Terps bullpen. Paige Lackier, a managing editor, wrote an awesome preview on our website. Check that out. But the bullpen is going to be led by the Fuzz, the only senior out there, and that's Elliot Zollner, who last season was pretty up and down. If you look at the numbers, you know, you're not going to think he 
he was as big as he was. He had 31 strikeouts with a 7-4-0 ERA, but an excellent performance in the Terps' final game of the season against Michigan. I talked to him over the summer, and we joked about it, that he had such a dominant shutout performance that kept the Terps in that game for the time being. They did eventually lose to end their season, but Zollner, definitely not the reason why. He really stepped up when he had to, and if he could continue to be that leader this year, now that he's got the four years of experience, it could be huge for the back end of this Terps pen. Oh, it certainly could, and he ended the season on a really strong note, five and a third uh, innings of scoreless baseball over a couple of different performances to close out 2019. So if he can take that momentum, some of the lessons he learned from the back end of the 2019 season and push it into 2020 could be a really big piece being a senior as well. That leadership role, that intangible role also going to be huge. And then the other big piece of the bullpen uh, that I want to focus on, who is part of the upperclassmen, is Mark DeLuya. And DeLuya last season, also really big towards the end of the year. His freshman year, you know, when he came in, you thought this guy might have been a starter. He was getting some weekend starts. He was starting some midweeks. But last season made 24 relief appearances, a 5-4-5 ERA. That's 38 innings, 38 strikeouts. Yeah, workhorse, to be sure, Mark DeLuya was. Whenever Maryland really needed a couple of innings, he always seemed to be there to kind of calm things down on the mound. He was a, a calming, perform, uh, calming performer, should I say. He only allowed three or more earned runs one time in all of 2019, which is a pretty astounding statistic, even coming out of the bullpen. Never really let things get too far away from him. Always kept Maryland in ballgames. And then you continue to look at this Terps bullpen. You've got some returners in Mike Vosturia, Billy Phillips, Sean Hine. But then you've also got some freshman arms, including Dave Falco, who has gotten a lot of opportunities to pitch uh, against his own teammates in scrimmages recently. Rob Vaughn, according to Page, really likes him, might be the go-to guy. Falco in the fall was hitting 95 to 98 on his fastball. When you have a freshman throwing that kind of heat, that's going to be really tough for opposing hitters. It is, and that's the kind of raw potential that you live for as a manager as well. To come in as a freshman with that much stuff and that much velocity and to have four years to, or however long Falco decides to stay at Maryland, hopefully for four years, uh, to come, to work with and to make sure that you, you can get the mechanics down, you can get a kind of the nuances of pitching down, maybe develop some secondary pitches as well. That's what you live for, and that's exactly what you're looking for when you're recruiting is that kind of raw talent that Falco clearly has that you can turn into a real college pitcher. So that will wrap up our discussion on the bullpen and, and pretty much the entire pitching staff that the Terps have. Of course, we didn't mention everyone on the roster, but you'll get to know them throughout the season, as I'm sure in the early going, we'll get to know a lot of them. But now, Ben, with you to preview the rest of the lineup, uh, I don't want to really go down the batting order because that could change day by day. You know in the middle of the lineup, you're probably going to have Maxwell Costas, Justin Vogt in there. At the top, you're going to have Randy Bednar, maybe Troy Schreffler if he gets an opportunity as a freshman. If Chris Aline is healthy, you could use his speed on the base paths. Ben Cowles will work his way either near the top or the bottom. If his bat's hot, maybe he'll get in the middle. I just said a bunch of random possibilities that <laughs> anything could happen. It's all up to Rob Vaughn. He is not the kind of guy who will use the same lineup over and over again. So instead, Ben, let's break this down position by position, and let's first start with the back of the battery at the backstop. Uh, the catchers on the roster, and the first one is probably the guy who's going to be eating up every inning behind the plate if he could stay healthy, and that's Justin Vogt, a captain on the team last year. He was he hit 222, but did have 10 homers and 30 RBIs. When you have a catcher who caught 53 games behind the plate in pretty much every single inning of those games, you know the Terps really relied on him last year. He was a captain as a sophomore. And to have that kind of leadership returning for you is huge. Yeah, consistency is what you're looking for 
behind the plate, somebody who can come in and mentor uh, new pitching staff, which I think Vogt's going to do especially well as a captain with all these new freshman pitchers especially. And then if you can get any offense as well, that's just gravy. And Vogt struggled, behind the, uh, struggled from the batter's box in 2019. I think he started to break out of it a little bit. You could see patches where he started to see the ball very well. He did struggle a lot of times, especially with the strikeout. But mostly what you're looking for is consistency and defense from a catcher. And if you can produce offensively, all the better. Votes back up from last season. Sebastian Holti Monsera has transferred. But another guy who was on the Terps roster last year but redshirting due to injury is Tavin Shahidi. And Tavin transferring from Iowa Lakes Community College. Back in 2018, he had a 336 average with 10 homers and 11 doubles. If this guy can keep it good behind the plate, give Justin Vote a break from time to time. Tavin could be a big part of this Terps roster. And he's a big guy. He loves to play. He went out to watch the Terps play in the Big Ten tournament last year, even though he couldn't travel with the team. He loves supporting his teammates. And that's the, exactly the kind of guy you want backing up your backstop in Justin Vote. I think that as well speaks to the mentality uh, and kind of the culture that Rob Vaughn is putting together in College Park uh, by the year 2020. Have a guy go out to Omaha, even though he can travel with the team and support his guys is huge. And look, baseball's a grind. College baseball's a grind, and you never know who's going to get injured. You never know who's going to just get a nick and need a, a night off or two, especially catching not the uh, the least thankless of positions in baseball. So to have a guy who you can have confidence to turning in should something happen to Justin Vote or should he just need a night off is absolutely huge for peace of mind for Rob Vaughn and for the consistency and the gelling of this team. So that's how the Terps look at catcher. Now let's move up to first base and about 90 feet away. And the Terps will probably rely on Michael Panero. Now, if you're wondering why we didn't jump to Maximo Acostas here, well, Maximo Acostas came into Maryland with a lot of experience at third base and in the outfield. Last year with Taylor Wright already occupying that spot, and Rob Vaughn and his staff wanted to try Maximo out at first. He won Big Ten Freshman of the Year and was named to the first team in the conference. But now with third base open, it's likely that we're going to see Maxwell getting a lot more innings at the hot corner this year. So that opens space up for Michael Panero, who's a redshirt sophomore who... Uh, according to the article we have on MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, was Vaughn's Swiss Army knife last season. He had 44 appearances, 38 games started, and he played DH, he played left, he played first, kind of played all over, hit 252, and then over the summer played in the Prospect League down in West Virginia, hit 333 in 36 games. So yeah, Prospect League is a, is a much improving league, I think. It was, it was very good to see him, and that's so huge to have a guy who you know you can pencil into the starting lineup in a lot of different positions. Like I said, you never know who's going to be ready to go. Obviously, you hope that you have uh, all your guys available for every single game in 2020. Realistically, you don't know how good of a chance there is that that's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to need to sit somebody down if they're not playing as well as you thought they would perform. So to have a guy who you know you can pencil in every day in the lineup, he's going to give you consistency. He's going to give you solid defense. He's going to put together good at-bats. Absolutely massive. Uh, Panero could also uh, have a platoon at first base with Michael Boma, a freshman. He was ranked the number one first baseman in the state of Maryland. This kid's got some power. He had a single in his five in one of his five at bats against the fall world in the fall world series. He's highly touted. His teammates like him. He's got a lot of energy when he's out there. Looks good in the batting cage from what I've seen so far. So then we move over to second base. And last season, second base was kind of all over place, all over the place for the Terps at the beginning of the season. AJ Lee started out at shortstop, and then we kind of saw a tandem of Ben. Cowles and Tommy Gardner 
at second base. And then Tommy Gardner was dealing with some injury, so Ben Cowles took that over. Then A.J. Lee got hurt. Ben Cowles moved to short, Tommy Gardner to second. And then by the end of the season, Tommy Gardner was dealing with some injuries, so Ben Cowles became the permanent second baseman. But Cowles, who played shortstop a lot uh, in his home state of New York and back in high school, is likely going to take over that spot at shortstop this year. So Tommy Gardner has a big spot to step up to at second base if him and Josh McGuire, who... Uh, also didn't see any playing time in the field last season, but he has some good hands at second base. Tommy Gardner, always some really good hands. Last season at a point had a six-game hitting streak uh, when A.J. Lee was out. And, you know, if he could step up, recover from his injuries while Tommy Gardner get the bat going, could be a big piece for the Terps. At second base, I think one of the bigger question marks, uh, especially in the Maryland infield, as you said, Cowles is likely really the heir apparent to A.J. Lee over at shortstop, and Costas will be over at third base. First base is open, but not as much as I think second base is. I think the door is wide open for Josh McGuire uh, if he can play as well as he did kind of on the back end in 2019 to steal a starting job away from Tommy Gardner. I think it's still Gardner's to lose, but Josh McGuire has a really good chance of taking that based on the way he performed at the end of last season. So as we've pretty much talked about, Ben Cowles will be taken over at shortstop. That checks off there. And then we go to third base, and we've got Maxwell Costas. Now, we could go on and on, do probably a 10-podcast series on all the things going on about this kid. He's one of the most interesting guys on the team. He's going to be moving from first to third this year. Now, could that adjustment maybe tweak him a little bit, maybe hurt his bat? He hopes not, but he'll admit that last year it was a little hard for him to get adjusted to college, but he broke out within a couple of weeks and, of course, got so many accolades. He raked in the offseason over the summer, won the Perfect Game Collegiate Baseball League Player of the Year Award, broke the league record for home runs as he had 15 over the summer. He is just an awesome guy to be around, brings a lot of energy into the clubhouse. His brother Marty is now playing in the Houston Astros organization, and if Maxwell can keep that same energy, play as well as Marty and keep being a leader in the clubhouse, he's going to have an excellent year, I think, regardless of what position he's playing. Yeah, I think first base, third base, certainly not going to matter uh, in the batter's box. I am interested to see how he does at the hot corner. Obviously, it's a bit of a different position. Yes, a lot of the skill set is the same, but I'm looking at the first couple of series for a couple of hard hit balls down the third baseline, how he's going to react to it. Uh, how his footwork is going to be especially because that with a lot of the younger guys when they switch positions is the biggest question mark their footwork I'm very interested to see how that is early on in the season so then when you're looking for utility infielder the Terps have a couple of options you've got Brenton Davis who is one of the transfers out of Southeast Community College coming to the Terps this year and then you've got a couple of freshmen in Matt Orlando and Aaron Perez but there's one more transfer who's really been standing out to me personally in the practices I've watched. And that's Austin Chavis, the transfer from Potomac State. Last season, he hit 330 with 18 doubles, which was ninth in that school's history. And Chavis has some really good hands, and he's looked pretty good with the bat so far, as we've seen not only in practices, but also in the fall. And coming from Calvert Hall as well, it's an institution at Maryland. A lot of uh, really good athletics uh, out of that school and some Maryland representation as well from Calvert Hall. So that kind of endears him to his Maryland teammates right away. And I think the door is wide open for utility infielders. Whoever I think is going to play the best early on in the season is going to be at the front of the line in the first names off the bench that Rob Vaughn calls. So I think it's a really good opportunity, especially as a freshman or a new transfer. It's a really good situation to be able to play your way into, if not the starting lineup, that utility role, that first pinch hitter role, that right first guy right off the bench in case somebody goes down role because I think the door is wide open. So we continue on. And we'll move out to the outfield. Now, we're not going to go position by position here, but I will say this. We'll start with the returners. You have Randy Bednar, Ben, who 
is coming back to the Terps after being named to the second team All Big Ten in, in what was such he had a really good freshman year and he got even better in his sophomore year. Last year hitting two eighty eight. That was third on the team. He was third on the team in uh on base plus slugging percentage at eight ninety three. He led the team in total bases and in RBIs with fifty five. Now like I said, we're not going to speculate too much here and go through every position, but last year, Randy Bednar, in every single Maryland game, batted second and played either right field or center field. I think that there's a pretty solid chance that you'll see him towards the top of the lineup every game and in those positions as well in 2020, assuming he stays healthy. I think him and Costas really have to be the anchor of the Maryland offense, not in terms of where they are in the batting order, but just in terms of their consistency. Because that's really what you're looking for in college baseball. The best teams are the ones who are the most consistent, not necessarily with the best talent individually, but the ones who can start off the season strong and continue it all the way through the season, playing a correct and very simple and same brand of baseball from the start of the season to the end of the season. Yes, you're going to have to make adjustments, but if you have guys who can hold it down over the course of an entire season, you're going to have a lot of success in the outfield. It's got to be Randy Bednar. So then you continue looking at the outfield. Another guy who was a stalwart out there last year was uh, another junior in Chris Aline. Uh, well, he'll be a junior this season. Um, so Bubba comes back, and we know how good he is with the glove. When we did our Top 10 Moments of 2019 podcast last week, and I put in the audio from Justin's call of his incredible catch down at Louisiana, it was just electric, and that's the kind of energy that this guy plays with. A real workhorse out there in the outfield. If he's healthy, he did deal with some injuries at the end of the year last year, but if he's healthy, he's going to be another big part of this Terps team. So then you look for that third outfield spot, and there's a couple of freshmen, three to be specific, who really have good stuff that could get them that last starting spot. You've got Troy Schreffler Jr., who is very highly touted. In some conversations, I've just learned that, that he plays with such fire all the time. He led off for the Terps when uh, they were playing St. John's in the fall in their competition games. Maryland was his dream school, is his dream school. A really nice kid. He loves being out there. He loves finally being able to live his dream. If you follow him on Instagram, he's been posting all week about how excited he is to finally get the season started. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Schreffler is able to be one of those guys who has the speed, can fill in at the top of the lineup at the beginning of the season, and earn one of those outfield starting spots. And like I said, the door is wide open. That's really exciting, especially for a freshman, and can really entice them to play to the best of their abilities. I've also heard really good things about Troy Schreffler Jr. I think he's got a, a good opportunity to show Rob Vaughn that he deserves to be in the lineup. I think there's a strong chance he will be. Now, he's going to have to compete for that last spot with two other freshmen who have really been shining. Both of these guys could also be potential DH candidates for the Terps, as Maryland will likely not be relying on one guy to fill that designated hitter position this season. But there are two guys who were drafted uh, out of high school as well, and one of them is Tucker Flint, the Rhode Island player of the year last year, drafted by the Mets in the 36th round, elected to come here, and he could be a big part of this Maryland team. He's got a good bat. He's had some big hits and scrimmages so far this spring. So look for him to maybe take that final starting spot as well. Also, Bobby Zamarslak, he was drafted in the 40th round by the Orioles, his hometown team. He was uh, actually named the number one prospect in the Big Ten by perfect game, and he could also be another big uh, piece in the outfield. And you never want to look at high school statistics too much because they don't always tell the whole story, but the numbers pop off the page, especially for Tucker Flint, his senior season. He hit 545 and had a 677 on base percentage. Those are just astronomical numbers. Will he be able to turn that into success at the college level? Still to be seen, but certainly want to see that from your high school guys dominating at the level that they're at. 
So it's going to be wide open, as we keep saying over and over again, a lot of opportunities for these freshmen because it was such a good freshman recruiting class. The number seven recruiting class in the country, according to D1 Baseball, that is the highest in program history. And Rob Vaughn and his staff got it in just their third season. So that wraps up pretty much every player on the Maryland roster for this season and how they'll be shaping up. But of course, Ben and I are just the broadcasters. We don't make the lineup cards. We don't make the final decisions. All we could do is speculate, but we hope we provided you with some insight into what the Terps might really look like in 2020 because I realized throughout these past couple of podcasts, Ben, you and I talk a lot, but we keep talking about the 2020 Terps, and I'm glad we finally got to sit down and really dive into who those Terps really are and the impact they could have on not only Maryland, but on the Big Ten and the NCAA. Yeah, it should be a great season, and we're really getting down to it now, aren't we? Absolutely. The season is just a few days away. First pitch will be from Charleston Southern University at 6 p.m. on Friday, February 14th. You can hear that call with me on the Maryland Baseball Network on Mixler. That's M-I-X-L-R. We thank you so much for listening to this episode 73 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And Ben, now that I realize it, the next time you and I do a podcast, we'll be recapping and previewing another series. So should be a good time as we get into the swing of the season. That is music to my ears, Zach. All right. Once again, thank you one more time for listening, and we hope you tune in to future episodes of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And, of course, tune into Terps Baseball all season long on NBA.